Ibiza is an island that is steeped in both legend and mystery. Perhaps one of the most legendary and magical tales is that of the goddess Tanit, who represents fertility, nature and both death and the creation of life. She is the icon of feminine energy and has the knowledge to transform from life to death and then back into life again. The goddess reigned over the underworld where she took care of spirits as they moved between life, death and reincarnation. As the legend has it, at first there was darkness and from the darkness the light was born. Sparks of light arose from the darkness that reached their fullness then returned back to the darkness. The darkness came from the bosom of the goddess. She is a guardian who brings death back to life and who gave birth to the light. But with the knowledge of eternal life, she could not belong to the underworld fully. So she returned back to this world to help the living with their inner transcendence. Many people come to Ibiza and feel this great and powerful energy as they find that they start to leave the old behind and are reborn into something new. It is for this reason that I have chosen to tell the tale of my own transcendence, from party girl and stockbroker, to medium, healer, and author of a book channeled with spirits, while sitting outside the beautiful cave of Tanit. I'm Nyabi, and joining me for this magical journey is Joe Yule, ex-BBC radio journalist and founder of Reset Rebel Productions, creative audio agency, as well as the creator of the Reset Rebel podcast and wellness platform here in Ibiza. So thank you, Joe, for giving up your time to interview me on this chilly autumn day. And welcome to the first ever episode of the Spirit of Life in Ibiza podcast. Abby, thank you so much uh, for inviting me here to this magical location overlooking the hills of Cala San Vicente. Um, it's just absolutely stunning here. And if anyone's ever been here, they will know exactly what we're talking about. But if you haven't, we are really in paradise. We certainly are. It's just carpets of um, greenery in the distance. It almost looks like a kind of autumnal Christmas fair over there with those kind of big old green trees and um, wonderful views of the hills and these big fluffy clouds. It feels like a really, really gorgeous afternoon to be commencing this podcast series. And I'm really honoured that you would invite me uh, to join you on episode number one. How exciting. It is very exciting. I'm very grateful that you're here. Well, I'm very grateful that I'm here as well. Um, but I kind of get the feeling from things that you told me previously, and our listeners haven't actually experienced yet, is that, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here if you hadn't really had that very crucial sign from your body with six years of health problems that kind of kicked off um, when you were obviously stockbroking in London. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I was stockbroking in London, as you said. And uh, I was, I was made redundant. Uh, my whole desk was made redundant, which uh, everyone else was quite frustrated about, as you can imagine. But I was actually super grateful because I'd just been feeling for a while that I really would love to go travelling. But um, uh, you know, I, just, I would never have had the courage to have left my career in stockbroking at that stage. Uh, so when the desk was, was made redundant, I saw this as an opportunity. Can I ask what the health problems were? Like, what were the, what were the kind of signs that kind of pushed you over the edge and forced you to quit 12 years in the industry? Yes. So, uh, so it started with, um, I just started getting, the very small thing, I started getting spots on my face, very small. Um, and I went to the doctors about them. 
And instead of checking what they should have checked, they just gave me uh, antibiotics, uh, which they gave me a course of four a day for well over a year. And at that time, I didn't really know much about antibiotics or the damage they could do to your body. Uh, Like most people, I trusted the doctor. I ended up, this is all in hindsight, of course, but I ended up developing colitis from the bad bacteria that was being developed. So that was the start of things. And then when I went travelling... I had vaccinations done. So I, I travelled for three months uh, with, no, with no problem. Didn't take the antibiotics with me because uh, I, I didn't have enough of my prescription. Uh, so I was actually feeling quite good. And then I had vaccinations done to, uh, go, to, my, to go to Thailand and Fiji. And when I did, I just got really, really sick for about three days. I was serious virus, couldn't get out of bed, really in a bad way. Then I got over that. But then what happened after that, it was this really this slow decline into just having no energy. I was exhausted. I was drained. Um, I couldn't get out of bed. Uh, lots of different things started happening. I was I was going to the doctors and saying, hey, you know, I've, I've, please test me for ME. I've got some problems here. And I was also telling them about the vaccinations, but I wasn't really taken very seriously. And they st- wanted to prescribe me uh, depression tablets because I was saying I couldn't get out of bed, which was luckily for me, I was quite strong at that point that I knew I wasn't depressed, although I was starting to feel depressed off the back of, you know, being being so sick. Um, but it went, it went on for a very long time. I, I, I kept having ambulances called, all sorts of different things that were happening. And uh, eventually my career changed. I, I, got, I got offered an opportunity in Hong Kong. And whilst Hong Kong was a very, it, it, Hong Kong was an amazing place to be. It was play hard, work hard, play hard. Um, and I, I felt like I was, it was under like light pollution, noise pollution, food pollution, alcohol pollution. Everything just felt like a sensory attack and a sensory overload in Hong Kong. So there was a lot of difficult things about being there. But one of the best things I have to say about being there was that I managed to find this holistic doctor who was also a fully trained GP. Um, she was absolutely incredible. So she got me off of all of the pharmaceuticals that I had been put on, which were very detrimental to my health. Um, she got me off the steroids that I'd been prescribed for the colitis uh, and she worked with me um, with, on numerous different levels uh, giving, offering me various different support um, which was it was it was really it was really useful what she did but we did get to the stage where she just said to me look um, you I can carry on supporting you but you're not going to get better until you actually leave your job because obviously it was a very stressful job in a very stressful country I was in a very stressful relationship I just I was I, I had stress coming out of my ears I'd been diagnosed with acute stress and fibromyalgia exhausted adrenals and as it turns out as I mentioned earlier in hindsight exhausted adrenals or adrenal fatigue or adrenal burnout as people may know it uh, was the initial cause of everything so when I had those spots that were breaking out that was due to the adrenal fatigue so if my doctors had investigated that and found that from the beginning I could have worked with that to um, you know to work out to to put my nervous system under less pressure Uh, but instead I went down this whole road of craziness uh, which led to which I say led to me getting to the point where I just could not I just couldn't do my job anymore. Would you say that you suffered sort of like a burnout? Absolutely 100% I I suffered a burnout I would I, I wouldn't say I was depressed but actually I was going into a bit of a depression because I couldn't live the life that I'd been used to leading. Um, I considered myself to be a party girl and a career girl. And 
when I could no longer party, and I, not not just party, I couldn't even socialise, to be honest. Um, and I found myself in this new country and in the UK and in London, I'd always been at the centre of social circles. I always knew what was going on. I was at every party that was happening. And suddenly I was in a new country. And whilst I had made friends, I was on, I felt like I was on the outside of that circle of friends because I couldn't be fully involved in everything that was happening. Um, so, yeah, so I did start, I, I started to suffer some sort of depression where I was I was just really questioning who I was because if I wasn't a party girl and you know when I started to realize that I couldn't really hold my career together anymore either I was like who am I like what 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 happens from here when you say you were a party girl I mean define that for us <laughs> um seeing well, as we're in Ibiza you know Ibiza, this is a fine yeah. place to uh, <laughs> talk about the mess that we've got each other into <laughs> Well, I actually came to Ibiza for the first time in, uh, when I was 17, uh, so that's 20, 25, six years ago, something like that now, showing my age. Um, so yes, yeah, so I've been coming to the island for, for a long, long time and always to party until the last couple of years. Uh, I started going to parties, raves, whatever you want to call them, from the age of 15. Um, I was taking a lot of drugs. Uh, I, I was taking a lot of drugs, well... You know, many people, many, many teenagers take drugs. It's a, it's a true fact, unfortunately. But um, I, I was, I started to really get out of control with it because I was very disconnected from myself. Uh, I was very disconnected from this life. Um, yeah, I just, I didn't really know who I was or what I was meant to be because I have, as I'm sure we'll go into later on in this, uh, in this podcast, but I have a lot of gifts that aren't necessarily normal to to people and when you're young and you don't understand what those gifts are and you don't understand that you're why you're different to other people and why you're not maybe being accepted in a certain way it can be very very confusing so I I suffered with quite deep insecurities and a lot of confidence issues and I started taking drugs as um, as a way to escape really as a form of escapism and many, I mean, obviously, many people use drugs as a form of escapism, but it, it got quite severe for me. I was, I was, I was out constantly. I, I, I developed more confidence in this uh, to begin with, but then the more I was using drugs as a way to be confident and to know myself and to express myself and to be social, the more I sort of then got sucked into the the deeper side of it, the darker side and the depression side of it. So, in actual fact, I had an experience. Um, when I was 17 years old, I mean, this now we're going to start going onto onto the gifts. But when I was 17 years old, I, um, I'd, I'd for a couple of years I'd been quite depressed to the point where I was actually starting to think about suicide a lot. Uh, luckily, I never had the courage to go through with it, but it was something that was on my mind a lot. Just I just felt so disconnected. And when I was 17, um, I was out partying, and I came back. Came back from a weekend of partying, going out Friday, coming home Sunday night, stroke Monday morning at some point. And I was in the shower and I started to feel, um, so I just feel very dizzy. So I got out of the shower and I started to notice that I was losing my eyes. So I, everything went black. I remember shouting out for my mum. And the next thing I know, I'm on the floor and my parents are knocking, trying to knock down the bathroom door. So I managed to get up and let them in and my mum sat behind me holding me holding me up my eyes around the back of my head and I was just falling 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 so I actually I, I, I didn't know what this this experience was at the time I now know, know it to be a near-death experience but I actually I saw that light at the end of the tunnel and I remember having a conversation with someone I don't remember all of the conversation but I just remember at the end saying no it's okay I, I want to go back 
um, I'm ready to go back. But I remember saying as well, but I can't promise I'm ready to give up drugs yet. And just so everybody knows, this wasn't in a judgmental way at all. Spirit, spirit doesn't have that kind of judgment. But it was just me. It, I think it was just where the more I was, the more I was doing drugs, and the more I was partying, the more I was disconnecting from who I was, what I was here to do. So I came back, and in the meantime, my parents had tried to carry me twice to my room, which was only a couple of meters away, and my body was like a lead weight. Uh, but eventually, I came round from this. Um, so yeah, so I had this, I had this big experience and, and what started to happen after that spirit being the intelligence that they are recognizing that I wasn't ready to give up the partying just yet. <laughs> Not for some time after that either, actually, but uh, they started to use me partying and taking drugs as a way of getting in touch with me. So what would happen is I would, I would be, I would have a you know a big weekend out. I was using a lot of ecstasy, MDMA in later, later years. And when you when you use this drug, it opens something in your in your mind. There's low vibrational drugs such as cocaine and alcohol, which really disconnect you and keep you very much in your base level chakra. Um, but you have these higher these higher uh, vibrational drugs, which can connect to can connect you to bigger sources. The problem is we start to abuse them. Um, but um, but yes, yeah, so in this as as this was happening. They started. I, the spirits suddenly would start to come to me a lot. So I'd be 17 years old and laying in bed after a big night of partying, and suddenly I'd be I'd be seeing spirit walking all around my room, pulling at my duvets, trying to trying to get get my attention. But um, it actually took me four years to actually even recognise, to even for it to even enter my mind that this was spirit. Um, I just thought I'd obviously done too many drugs. <laughs> I thought I'd been partying too much, and I was this was it. I was finally losing my mind. Uh, so yeah, so it, it took four years of that, and um, after about four years, there was an experience that I had during. I used to go into like a state of consciousness between sleep and awakeness, um, and this was where I would actually see. It would be the, something called the astral realm, where, where I would actually see these spirits walking around. I'd see them in my room, but I would. I, I now understand it to be that I I had lifted my vibration and my consciousness to a to a higher level. So I was seeing them on another realm. So I had this experience where within within my dream, uh, spirit had said to me, hey, look, we're here we're, we're spirit. We're trying to get in touch with you and we just need you to <laughs> we need you to wake up. So that happened. And then I started to look a little bit more into the idea of, of spirit. I realized that I'd had an experience when I was in Australia. I went to a place called St Kilda in Melbourne and I went with some friends. We got there very late. And I went into this sleep, this, this strange state of sleep consciousness that I had been experiencing where I would be asleep, but I would see things walking around my room as if, as if my eyes were open, but I was actually asleep. And I, on, on this, one, this, 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 particular uh, this particular occasion in St Kilda, I looked around and I saw these men in um, green uniforms with uh, rifles all marching around. So after I had this awakening to the fact that I was seeing spirit, I looked that up on the internet and discovered that actually St Kilda used to be an old um, army or naval base. So I then realised that, wow, I actually have been seeing something here. That was quite a big awakening of consciousness. But at this time, I think I must have been about 22, maybe 23. I'd just started my career as a stockbroker. And obviously that was, that was hard work. It was stressful. It was long hours. Uh, and I was still very, very unconfident and very insecure. 
So the idea of opening up to spirit in any way and opening up to being a complete weirdo is, is, is how I, um, I actually envisaged people's opinion to be of me. Um, I just wasn't ready to do that. So I went and did a, I went and did a course, like just a one-day workshop, and I just basically said, how do I make this stop? So the guy who was running the course said to me, look, you know, just, just go home, at when, go, go to bed at night and just say to them, hey, I know you're here but I'm just not ready for this yet. So I need you to, you know, to leave me alone for now. And so I did that. I think I did it for a couple of nights. And this shows the pure intelligence of spirit. But after probably four or five years of them driving me nuts every night, they just left me alone. That was it. I said, I said to them, look, when I'm ready to come back, I will. But I recognize that you're there. But I just I'm not ready for this now. Uh, and so, yeah, for about 10 years, give or take the odd experience here and there, for about 10 years, they they left me be, um, which I was very grateful for because I had a whole lot of other stress and uh, health issues to deal with, um, you know, on, on, on this planet, in, you know, at this time. So I wasn't able to deal with that then. But uh, not probably about a year before I quit my job and left Hong Kong, where I was residing at that time, I could I could feel the presence coming back and I could feel the need to connect with them again at some point yeah and how did that reconnection sort of kick off I feel like there's a story to tell about your father as well (laughs) ah yes okay so so there's two stories here so I guess I'll need to come to my my father later because he that that comes as the second part of the story so the first part in terms of connecting was when I eventually found the courage to quit my job which it took me a year after the doctor saying that she'd told me with the colitis that if I didn't if I didn't quit I would I could end up in a position where I could lose my bowel which is obviously quite a big thing especially you know for a young youngish girl to um you know to hear but it still took me a long time to find the courage to quit because I just didn't know who I was if I wasn't a stockbroker and you know how do you walk away from that kind of money as well like how was I going to survive without that paycheck um which of course you know it's it's seven years later and I'm very much surviving uh, so yeah, so I went travelling. How much money were you? It's an awful question to ask. You don't ask these questions, but since it's a podcast, and you know, it's a different, Being different honest. set of rules. Yeah, um, it's hard to say because you know it was bonus based, but I would say two, two to two fifty a year, maybe working up from working up from eighty to. It's, so I didn't. It, I worked up on that salary, but towards the end, it was kind of around that that kind of money. I don't have that kind of money to show for it now, <laughs> but uh, but yes, I was. You must have partied hard. <laughs> I did, yes, and lights, you know, flash cars and flash city pads and expensive holidays. But that's kind of when you're when you're working in that kind of environment, or not even that environment. I think when any of us, when we're working, whatever environment it is, we're working hard and we're kind of selling ourselves to the system. So when we do that, we feel like we deserve that that expensive holiday and to be quite honest we're stressed so we we want a a, a five-star luxurious holiday because we we that's we've got two weeks to not be stressed on uh and we want this expensive house to be able to go home to so that we can relax in it on the on the small amounts of time that we actually get the chance to relax we're out every night partying because we're so frustrated and stressed that we just want to go out and obliterate ourselves to not think about the the stress and the pressure and the frustrations of not maybe doing the things that we love and um, you know just just doing what we're trying to do to to get by as it feels. 
Um, so, yeah, you actually do end up spending an awful lot more money than what you, you need to. When when I stopped working, I realised I, I didn't need, I was going to say I don't need half that money. I didn't need, I didn't need a sixteenth of that money. Um, and I'm a lot happier for it now, much happier. But yeah, so going back to the how I how I reconnect with spirit. So I went traveling for roughly 10 months around South and Central America and my whole life changed. Uh, and I had this experience. One of the experiences I had was with ayahuasca. Um, so I didn't I didn't even know what ayahuasca was then. This was seven years ago. I know ayahuasca has become like a, a, a popular trendy thing to do now, but I had I'd never heard of it. But when I got out there, because it is of the, you know, it's a, it's a medicine of the Amazon. And just to be clear here, it is a medicine. I know some people maybe consider it to be a drug because it's a hallucinogenic, but it's uh, it's plant medicine. It's from nature. Um, you you drink with a shaman who you know works with you, keeps you safe, uh, and it's it's a journey. It's it's a it's a journey into consciousness, and there's a huge huge intelligence behind this plant medicine. So if you, you know, for people may think about taking acid, and people can have very very incredible journeys taking acid as well. But I think when you take that, it's a bit more random. Whereas when you take something like ayahuasca, the intelligence that comes through, what you are, what you are visualizing um, when you're when you're tripping, quite frankly, you're tripping balls um, when you're having that experience. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit scary, <laughs> but, uh, but you know when you're when you're doing hallucinogenics like that, um, you know you're going to this <laughs> this higher state of consciousness. But it is taking you to a place. It's showing you what you need to see in you so it's not with with ayahuasca it is not in any way random it's it's a beautiful beautiful ceremonial medicine that should be respected as such and i i think sometimes because it has become a trend people just like hey you want to do ayahuasca and for me it's something that with any kind of of um shamanic medicine plant medicine it's something that we should only do when we feel called to do it when there's, there's something there that's like i'm just i just i'm feeling this calling whether you feel it's your soul that's calling or whether you keep seeing the signs repeating over and over again it's it's something that you have to respect but i was getting this calling for something that i'd never heard of before and all of a sudden it was around me everywhere and um I actually broke up with my with my boyfriend while I was, whilst I was traveling. I uh, went through the uh, the obligatory heartbreak that, that we have to we all have to go through. And um I just took myself to a I booked myself into a five-star hotel. <laughs> still still had some of this stockbroker money. And I booked myself because I just didn't want to be on the traveling circuit. And so I locked myself I just wanted to be somewhere where I could like, get room service, cry into my duvet and watch TV and just not have to talk to anybody. And whilst I was there, I was like, well, what can I do? I just want to be somewhere for the next two weeks where I can just be off the off this traveling circuit. And I, I literally typed in a spa in spa in Peru. And what came up was ayahuasca. And it had been one of many, many signs. And I was just like, screw it. I'm obviously meant to be doing it. So I booked it. I booked it at 6 p.m. on the Saturday evening. I flew around 6 a.m. on the Sunday morning. And by 6 p.m. the next afternoon, I was drinking ayahuasca. So, yeah, I wonder if there's something in that with 666. But, um, but it, certainly, it certainly wasn't a demonic, um, a demonic experience. It was a very, very powerful experience, very beautiful experience. And through this, I was there for two weeks. I drank five times. And whilst there were many experiences that I was having during ayahuasca, one of the biggest and most powerful thing that was coming through for me was this connection with spirit. And it was just coming up that spirits around me all the time, that they um, that they're trying to connect with me, that they have information that they want to share with me, and they want me to share with the world through writing. 
Um, there was a lot of me having to get over my fear around this because much as I had the fear of who am I if I'm not a stockbroker and party girl, I also had who am I if I'm a bloody weirdo who's speaking to spirits. I had the fear of um, what is spirit, like, uh, you know, um, it, sometimes it felt quite dark when it was coming to me when I was partying a lot and taking a lot of drugs. But now I understand that I was, when you're taking a lot of drugs, you're on a lower vibration. So you're connecting with something that is um, a lower vibration in the spirit world as well. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so, so, so I had the fear of that. I just, what are people going to think? What are people going to say? So I had to work a lot with that during my ayahuasca experience. And there was one experience that I had during ayahuasca. It was my second ceremony. And it was simply for five hours, hands just coming at me saying, cross over to the other side, take the leap of faith, take our hands. And I was I was terrified. I thought, well, what's on the other side? What's the leap of faith? Like, who are you? What's going to happen? And even though this was just obviously a, halluc- a hallucinatory experience, the idea of taking these hands and crossing over to the other side petrified me and the more I resisted the more I was sick because um, purging is part of the ayahuasca experience uh, and the more I was sick the more weaker I was becoming so I didn't have the strength to I couldn't find the strength to then take the hands and it seems like nothing but it was five hours of it and I was terrified and um, but that was part of this they just, this they just wanted me to you know to take this leap of faith and now I have taken the leap of faith and when I left um, when I left the ayahuasca retreat I was I didn't have a blog at the time, but I was writing emails home to people about my traveling experience. And I wrote about the ayahuasca experience and I had traders on there from BNP and Goldman Sachs and all these big, you know, these big, powerful banks. And I wrote this email saying, hey, so I've just done ayahuasca. And uh, during the experience, what's come to me is that I'm a medium and I need to own this. And I said a little bit about that. And I wrote, pressing send on this email is going to be the hardest thing I've ever done. But here goes and just sent it. And, you know, I've never had anything negative back. Who knows what they were saying behind my back. <laughs> but uh, when, I got to, when I got back to Hong Kong 10 months later, actually the, the response that I got from people and, and from London as well, when I, when I went back to London after, uh, the response I got from people was actually very positive. Um, so I feel like, I feel sometimes that, when we don't own our own power, our own gifts, our own self, our own self-worth, it's very difficult for other people to respect us. It's very difficult for other people to, like the energy that we are giving out, whether we realise it or not, and whether the people responding or not realise it, we're giving an energy of, of you know, of that lack of confidence or that, that lack of trust in your own self and your own power. So we can only expect people to respond to what we're giving out. So when you start to own it yourself and say, hey, this is what I am and this is this is what I'm doing and I'm okay with this, you actually receive the same back. So that was a very powerful lesson for me to actually see that once I did step into my power with it, I did own the fact that I'm a medium and I'm not that weird, maybe a little bit, but you know. Um, but yeah, I, I actually got the respect back that, that I was hoping for. So that that in itself was just very magical. Yeah. Wow. I'm really impressed that you sent that email. I'd love to have seen his face and sat as a fly on the wall and seen what his uh, reaction was. That's very, very, very bold and very brave. I love it. And um, yeah, just taking that kind of calling, I think, to go and do the ayahuasca as well. Those two decisions are both pretty large in my book. But you were saying that there's a second part of the tale to be told about your father and why you kind of wanted to unravel this whole kind of scenario. Yes. So the second part of my father. Um, well, first of all, so I need to explain. When, so when I got back from traveling, I 
went back, I went back to the UK for a bit. I had no plans to stay in the UK at all, but it was my brother's wedding, so I went back. I thought I'd stay for the summer, stayed with my parents, and then I was going to I was going to head off again. And I went to so I stayed for stayed for a few months, went to India for a few months. And then I was actually planning, I, I realised when I was travelling that um, my long-term plan would be to set up a school in an orphanage somewhere in South or Central America. Uh, this was, again, I, vol- I ended up volunteering. I had another calling to go volunteer in an orphanage when I was out there. So I was all set to go do, to just go and volunteer somewhere long-term in an orphanage. But whilst I was in India, um, I started to have this feeling that, A, I wasn't ready. And this was now, this was probably five years ago, six years ago now. And I still haven't done it, so I'm still not ready. Um, But I started to feel like I wasn't ready. But I also started to feel like I needed to spend more time with my parents, particularly my dad. And that's unusual for me because as much as I love my my family, you know, I'd been in Hong Kong for years. I saw my parents twice a year. I was, you know, I I, I love my family, but I'm very, very independent and very much do my own thing, travel a lot, etc., so it was strange that I had that feeling, but uh, I got back and, and, and honoured it. Well, sorry, actually, that's, that's incorrect. Um, I, I left India and flew into Nepal. And the, the day I flew to Nepal, I got a, a phone call from my mum saying that there was something wrong with my dad. So I made the decision to leave Nepal the next day. And it was interesting because I, I remember feeling, why, there's, there's something, there's a reason that I didn't get to spend any time in Nepal before this, this, um, this phone call came. Uh, there's something that I need to do here. I need to come back to Nepal. But I went home, and uh, at that time, uh, we knew there was some issues with my, with, with my dad. We um, they were checking my dad's head. We didn't for a second think it was brain cancer, and neither did the doctors. But um, I got a message from Spirit saying to me, "It is cancer, Nibi, and it's time for you to start writing. You're going to be able to write from the heart because you're going to be able to write about this experience that you're having with your father." Um, so for for many years, because of my own health issues, I'd really developed a strong um, want, need, passion to speak out about the current medical system. I won't go too much into that in this podcast. Uh, come back for come back for a, for another episode for that one. But um, I really wanted to speak out about the current system because I realised how um, you know, how lacking it was in my own health issues, and the way we treat cancer was was an important one for me as well. I just recognised that, that you know there's, there's there's so much there's so much more that we could be doing. But I just felt I just also thought you know but who am I to speak out? Who you know I I, I just. I guess my dad gave me the voice to, he gave me the courage to be able to speak out. So when you're actually speaking about something as, as big as cancer, which is a very challenging, uh, you know, a very challenging topic. And people get angry when you, when you speak about, about cancer. If you suggest that maybe the current medical system isn't working as, as well as it could be, there's, there's a lot of anger that comes back there. So when my dad got sick, that, that gave me, it gave me my story. It gave me my reason to be able to, to have this voice. So I started to write and it was just like, it just, it, the stuff just came. It would just flow. I just get all of this information and I'd be like, wow, like I'm, I'm getting all this information, but I can't be just writing this. I need to get, um, I need some kind of evidence behind this. And then all of a sudden something would just turn up in my inbox or somebody would tell me about a documentary or, or something would come, which would give me the evidence of what spirit was already telling me. Um, so yeah, so I started to write these articles uh, there's, there's three of them out there now. Uh, and then, um, unfortunately, my dad didn't make it. So a year later, he passed away from, from the stage four brain cancer. Uh, I'll go more into that in a, in a different podcast. But um, 
I, before my dad passed away, I had been getting this calling, I get another calling to trek Everest. And um, I, I, kept, I kept getting the, I kept getting this call, like, trek Everest. And I kept saying, no, <laughs> trek Everest, like, bugger off. I don't want to trek Everest. Uh, but it kept coming and coming. And I have learned uh, that I need to start listening to the crazy voices in my head. So, so I trusted it and I booked, I booked a trek Everest. And um, not long after my dad passed away, I connected with the spirit that I've now written my book with. So up until that point, I didn't know that um, I knew that I was connected with spirit, but I had no idea that it was this one particular spirit who was working with me. And I'd been doing mediumship classes. I'd been after after um, after doing ayahuasca and coming back to the UK, I had been prodded and prompted by spirit to start doing mediumship classes which I've now been doing for about seven years and about a year and a half in which was not long after my dad passed away in fact in fact it was about two weeks after my dad passed away uh, we did an impromptu trance class which trance is it's, it's a difficult one for me to explain but the spirit comes much closer to you than when you're just doing mental mediumship so it, the spirit comes very very close and it's almost like the spirit it sounds scary and I was actually very scared of this it's, it's actually not at all it's a beautiful experience the spirit can come so close that they can sort of move your hands move like when the spirit came close to me he just moved my head ever so slowly and was taking in the room with my eyes and then he was moving my hands in this just very gentle beautiful way um and I just felt like I'd been joined by this incredibly enlightened wizard, which I thought was very odd. Um, but I've never felt peace and wisdom like it. So I had that experience. But as I say, it was not long after my dad had passed away, like literally two weeks. So um, I had this experience, but I didn't, I didn't go into it. I didn't delve into it too much more than that. And then maybe a month or six weeks later, I had a, another, another impromptu trance class where the same thing happened. And um, during this, this class, we were partnered up with somebody and we were asked to bring through some words of wisdom. So as I listened to what was coming through from this, this, this wizard again, um, I started to recognise that the words that were coming through were very similar to that, that which comes through when I'm writing. So the writing that I'd been doing with the cancer articles, for example, um, this was the language that was coming through. So I decided to sit with this spirit alone the next day and just write and see what would come through. Uh, and so I did that and that ended up being page one of my book I had no idea I was writing a book I just sat there to see what was happening and he just said come back every day and let's just write and write and so that's that's then what's happened so getting back to my dad sorry we had to go a very long-winded way around that to get to this story so I'd, I'd booked to go to Everest I then connected with this spirit just after my dad passed away we started writing the book together and then I took my flight to to Nepal and it was on the 31st of October 2015 to Halloween uh, but it wasn't long after there'd been the the earthquake at Everest so everybody who else who was meant to be on the on in the group with me dropped out so it was just me trekking with the guide and my luggage turned up a day late so I ended up starting the trek to Everest on my dad's first birthday since his passing and then we got we, we did the trekking for the first day and I sat down to write the next extract of my book and what ended up coming was the conclusion so it's so I ended up finishing my book on my dad's first birthday since his passing. And that was like, um, you know, it was a year and a half on from when I'd actually been called back from Nepal to come 
go home to see my dad because he'd been sick. So it just um, it's just beautiful for me that the, the synchronicity of it that that just just to know that my dad's still there in my work. As I say, I felt I felt it was my dad who gave me the courage and the voice in the first place to to put myself out there with the cancer articles, and then to know that he's still looped into my book and to to all of the work that I'm doing is just um, yeah, it was just really beautiful. So thank you for asking me about my dad. Wow, I'm really sorry to hear that your dad passed away, but um, yeah, thanks for telling us all about it. And uh, you know how unbelievable that you're hearing, yeah, the voices that are kind of guiding you to let your creativity flow through you. Because um, unfortunately, I haven't had the pleasure <laughs> of reading your book yet. But now I'm like, I definitely really want to read that. So um, I'm going to have to get my hands on a copy. Which is um, so. How long did it take you to write the book once you connected into the spirit? Six months. So I probably had the easiest, um, the e- easiest ever experience that anyone's ever had writing a book. But because it's because it was just connected with spirit, I would just sit for an hour, literally one hour every day, and just write, and it would just flow through me. Um, so I would, I would then spend a further two to three hours rereading what I'd just written, just being gobsmacked and blown away by the power of the words and the wisdom that was coming through, and just. You know the fact that this this was coming through me that I'm the conduit for for the for these words to be made manifest. It was it was really quite a you know a powerful experience. Um, so yeah, but but it took me it took me six six months. Um, so I think any any anyone else who's written a book out there will probably be very uh, very frustrated to hear that right now as as people go through years of of trying to get it right. But because it was the connection to to, to to pure source energy, it just it just flowed. Mm. Um, so yeah, and and as part of that, I mean, I actually finished writing the book. As I say, it was two, November two thousand and fifteen, and it's I've only just had it published in August and that and I haven't been out there trying to get it published um I was there'd be times when I'd be like right come on you know I'm impatient I need to get this done but I would just get this gentle pushback from spirit to to say it's just not time and that was difficult for me because you know as a as a ex-stock broker I'm, I'm I'm a doer um so, so to, to to just be and just to trust and just to allow things to unfold as they need to unfold was was difficult but that was part of my journey and part of my learning um and as I say, it's um, it's it's four four and a half years later that the book has now been published, and it's it's interesting to to see. Like I, I can now understand why it's needed to wait until now. Uh, it's you know with my own my I, my own personal journey, my own learning, developing my own gifts, being ready to to put such a a powerful book out there, a book that is incredibly challenging to society. Um, a book that's you know it's highlighting the issues that we have in society, but as well as highlighting the issues that we have in society, it's you know I think a lot of people can see the issues we have in society, but then we get stuck in that and we get stuck in the darkness of of that. Whereas this is trying to bring people to a place to to show them how they can how they can change that for themselves, how to, how they can reconnect with their their own gifts and passions, and um, by connecting with your own gifts and passions, you end up naturally healing yourself because we were speaking earlier of, of how um, you get in this cycle of going to work and getting frustrated and then getting annihilated and then needing to earn more and more money to make yourself happy because we have this void. But we have this issue in our society where we're, you know, we're taught to be someone that we're not. And we, we, we go to school and we're, we're taught we need to be good at maths and science and all of these things. And that some of the natural gifts that we have just aren't developed or... or um, you know, cajoled or anything at, at, at school, so they get pushed pushed aside, and they're not the gifts that make us money. So we we actually forget 
we, we forget who we are. We're all, we're all born with beautiful gifts. Every single one of us is born with a beautiful gift and we lose ourselves in the system. Um, so the book really is is just trying to try, trying to help people to see that and trying to help people to reconnect back to that. And that's really what these podcasts are about as well, is to, you know, I just want to, want to focus on various things that happen in society and, and how we can how we can change it and how we can... Every, everything comes from ourselves. Everything. Everything has to start from ourselves. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just looking to explore some of that, really, and, and try and help people to heal from from the issues that we actually suffer from being part of this society. Mm. And just going back to something you said, um, you said earlier about um, following the calling. We all have this voice. We all have this connection. Uh, every single one of us is psychic. Every single one of us has this connection to source energy. Uh, everyone, every single one of us hears these voices that come through. It's just that the majority of us don't listen to us. We've disconnected, again, another part of how we're, we're, we're developed in our society. But we disconnect from that. And, um, you know, it's, it's really it's such an important thing for, for people to get back to really listening to that, that inner voice and really connecting back to the higher source that is. Because, you know, it's, it's not just me who has these gifts. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm continuously blown away by how many more gifts are unfolding since, since I quit my job. And if you'd asked me back, in fact, you didn't even have to ask me. I, I regularly said it. I have no gifts other than being good at my job. I've got no gifts. Like I just, I felt like I was talentless. And since I've, I've quit my job, I'm finding that I am incredibly gifted. And I don't mean that to sound arrogant. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you, (laughs) I'm very gifted. (laughs) The reason I'm sharing that with you is because we all are. (laughs) And, um, you know, I, I know that there's I know so many people I've heard so many people say the same things that I used to say that, that they don't know what their gifts are. But I found so many and they were all just bubbling away under the surface, just pushed down by by stress and frustration and the need to make money and the need to fit in in society. And once I've actually moved away from that, my God, they've been coming, you know, um, yeah, gifts that I would never even imagined are coming. And as I actually start to look back at my life, I, I can actually see how how gifted I was as a child. But all of those gifted, all of those gifts were just given away. My power was given away to to a society that we're that we're born into. And and yeah, so as I say, I'm, whilst <laughs> whilst I know it sounds incredibly arrogant, um, I'm actually saying this because I I believe this is the case for everybody. Um, we all have very different gifts, very unique gifts, of course, but I really do believe that everybody has something that they can share, share with the world, something that they can share that is, that is part of them. And when you start to, when you start to connect with those gifts and those passions and your dreams, the dreams that get pushed away by the society we live in and this need to make money, when you reconnect with that, you actually become whole again. You become the person that you we're born to be the person that you really are and we have such a problem with disconnect and not feeling whole like so many of us go out looking for love in the arms of another because we don't fully love ourselves because we don't feel whole we're looking for somebody to fill this void but obviously we are the only people who can fill that void and I truly believe that 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 void comes from giving away the gifts passions and dreams that that are the very essence of our being the very essence of our soul um, so for me, it's um, it's just it's really important for, for me to to express this to people. That's why that's why I'm starting these podcasts. 
is um, is you know just really to to try and encourage people to connect back to the reality of who they really are rather than the person that they've that they've been designed to be or they've been controlled to become um because yeah i think we've got a lot of lost individuals and you know we've spoken about partying and and taking drugs here and um i i i know that many many of my listeners would be would have been on the same journey if you spoke to like our parents they would think that you know oh my, my, my children wouldn't do drugs drugs is something that you know only happens to people who've got who've got issues or you know are in a dark place but the majority of society have issues and are in a dark place. This is our biggest problem. We, we're we searching for something because um, we know there's something more. We all know there's something more out there, but we just end up searching for it in the wrong places. We're searching for, for the highs. Uh, and as, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes those highs can connect us to, to a bigger source, but we get lost in those highs and then we get lost in the lows as well. Um, but we we get lost in searching for something in in a chemically chemically induced place, uh, and unfortunately, you know, whilst chemicals can feel great at the time, they also do a lot of damage to our to our bodies, to our psyche. Um, so by 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 following that route, we actually end up going going into an even more dark place in the end. But what I want to say really is that we all have the ability to connect to that higher source. We all have the ability to find those highs just very, very naturally. But we have to do the work in ourselves. And, you know, it's very easy to turn to drugs as a, as a quick fix. Um, I think a lot of people come to Ibiza, though, for, for all the reasons we've just mentioned. And, you know, one of those reasons is to do deep healing work. There's a lot of yoga going on on this island. There's a lot of meditation. There's a lot of therapists. There's a lot of healers. There's a lot of mediums and people channeling and being those people finding those same things on the dance floor. And I think that's also something that can't be denied is that, you know, the higher vibrational drugs, which you, you mentioned that you were taking, the MDMA or the ecstasy, are opening people up to a different part of themselves that they've suppressed for so long and they come here purely to escape all of that Mm -hmm. and when they find it they never want to go home and there's a lot of missed flights on this island I think it has the statistics of uh, the most missed flights you know in the whole of Europe and possibly the world and I think you know that's why this place is so addictive and calls you back and you get the calling to come because you know there is a part of this island that you know gives you those answers and I I think it's sometimes hard to unravel those when you're sitting at home and you've got a normal job and you are you know in the normal situation so I think drugs definitely can be a bad thing but I think there's a part of something that exists here um, that goes hand in hand with that and sometimes really helps people to go back with with a clearer perspective of where, where they're going wrong and what it is they want to change and that's the only thing I will say about that part of what you've said, because I think it's interesting, you know, and, and none of your perhaps transformation and transcendence would have happened without hitting that rock bottom from mm-hmm. from going through that. And, I, you know, sometimes it takes people a lot longer to know where that rock bottom is. They've got nowhere to step up from. And, I, you know, maybe it can happen with a burnout or a midlife crisis or, a, you know, a major, major health issue. But I think sometimes, you know, maybe going on a massive come down for a bit can also throw you into a dark hole that makes you really need to extricate yourself and get back to the light which is clearly 
what your book seems to be about. So again, can't wait to read it. What else are you going to tell us? I'd like to hear a bit more about your journey here in Ibiza. Well, I'd just like to add into that that, yes, I'm part of those statistics with the missed flights as well and completely agree with what you're saying there. I, my, my, I would not change my journey at all with um, with the partying and the doing drugs. It's a big part of, of my transcendence. And and uh, yeah, so, so coming to Ibiza, as I say, I've been coming here since I was 17 always on the party side of the island. And just over the last couple of years, uh, I just really started to, to feel more the magic of the of the island away from the party side. Um, but I feel like, so I stopped, I stopped taking drugs a few years back, but I'm still very connected to the party world. I still, I still love a party. I was drinking alcohol still, and it was, um, it was last Halloween that I had my last alcoholic drink. And I'd felt it coming for a long time, but, um, I was like, how am I ever going to stop drinking alcohol? As a stockbroker, I was drinking alcohol every night. And even before I was a stockbroker, I was drinking alcohol every night. So, um, yeah, it was uh, when it came, I'd, I'd been to Burning Man, actually, another another incredible place for anybody who's looking to transcend. Uh, so I'd been, to, I'd been to Burning Man and I just came back. And I, was just like, I just don't want to drink alcohol anymore. I just I just stopped. And I feel like so the idea of moving to Ibiza had been in my energy field, if you like, for about seven years. But I think I, until I'd actually stopped taking everything, <laughs> I was not in a position to come because I would have just got sucked in. And it, I was here in the summer and I, I still party, as I mentioned, and I drink uh, ceremonial grey cacao to keep me awake. It's a great it's, it, for anyone who's looking for a, you know, a stepping stone into, into still being able to go out and stay out, but in a, in a more healthy way. Um, ceremonial grade cacao is awesome. It's a stimulant that keeps you keeps you awake, but it also releases endorphins, serotonin, dopamine. Another thing, though, that also needs to be respected because, you know, it is it is again, it's a medicine. And I found that I got sucked into the party scene here in June and July. Obviously, people are coming in constantly from you know um, people coming coming in on holiday, and it was it was nonstop. And I didn't have my boundaries set for that, uh, so I was just out every night drinking cacao. Uh, coming home at midday the next day, <laughs> having a great, great time. But in terms of adrenal burnout, um, something like uh, cacao, which is still a stimulant, massively affected me. So I became very drained again. I went home in August to, for my book release. I went back to, the, back to London for my book release and I was drained. And when I came back here in September, um, I moved into Santa Eulalia. And I've just stayed in my Santa Eulalia bubble ever since. I've just avoided partying Um even when I've wanted to party or said, like, I'm going to make the efforts party, I feel like the islands has just had very different ideas for me. Uh, and it is it's just such a magical, magical island. Um, it really does take you where it needs to take you. And I've been having these I'm going to use the word magic again, because that's what it is, these pure magical experiences. And I've discovered two more gifts since I've been here, which I had no idea I had. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I've just, I've just been taken on this, this incredible journey. And I feel now, and I, I, I believe that the island has definitely helped me with that. I'm finally ready to start working because I've had issues with confidence and trust. Uh, for, so I say I've been developing for, for, for six to seven years now. I've been healing myself, healing my, uh, yeah, healing myself mentally, emotionally, physically. I've been developing my gifts. And yeah, now I'm finally ready to, to start working, uh, which I believe is definitely a gift of the island. But yeah, so like, like you said, a lot of people come here and it is the party, the party lifestyle that calls them over here to begin with. And they have that experience with the drugs and they're, they're going into that higher state of consciousness. 
but this you know it's just it's an island that keeps on giving because you do you know people do have that experience and they do find something bigger and they are searching for something more and they're and they're finding those highs and they're finding that that connection into into a higher place but as i say if you keep going on that journey it can then take you to the darker place which as you mentioned when you hit rock bottom which is what happened to me with my burnout i absolutely hit rock bottom there was you know there was many things as well as a burnout but i was just in a very very dark place and it's that that then you know the phoenix rising from the ashes that brings you brings you back to a to, to a place where you can start to recognize who you truly are which is why i brought us to the Titanic cave this this place of transcendence but yeah as I say it's the island that keeps giving because you you have the that party side which takes you there in the first place and then you've got this this other this other side that just gives you that chance to heal and grow and and be everything that you you were born to be so it's beautiful very grateful to be here I just think yeah I love this um word trust that you've kind of brought up a few times in the course of this podcast and um I just I'm intrigued um because obviously being in situ here, uh, you know, with the with the goddess of love and the goddess goddess who's, you know, really come back, I think, and to prevail over this island and, you know, such strong, powerful energy, an island built on a bed of crystals that really provides, I think, a, a light, a lightness that helps people come back from the dark and, and get back out of those holes that they often fall into in their everyday doings. But to, to trust here is is a big thing. And I think for you to say that you finally surrendered to these voices and kind of decided to go with this you know listening to this spirit and that's I think that's intriguing and has been obviously a very big opening for you to kind of go in there and really explore what that really means for you to kind of navigate the narrative of the rest of your life listening to these voices because that's you know most people you must have thought you were going completely bonkers and how has that kind of changed your life apart from writing this book? Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you hear um, you know someone saying about the voices in their head, uh, it does it does tend to make you question their sanity. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been a journey, and um, you know, you you said you know that to trust, I've trusted and surrendered. I I I would say I'm definitely still in the process of 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 learning to trust and surrender because it's still something I fight against. I have all of my old conditioning still there, and I find it very difficult to to trust and surrender. But I think the thing is, the more you kind of go okay I'm going to go with this I'm going to roll with this one and then you get the you know what comes back from it and you see what unfolds and you're like so it's, it's that one step each time a stepping stone to trust if you like I mean one of the things that spirit told me a few years ago was that I need to learn to sing and uh, for any of my friends listening out there <laughs> they all know just how bad a singer I actually am <laughs> so that was that was probably the that was probably the biggest one out of ever there's been you know there's been a few there's been lots of huge things that spirit have kind of said hey this is going to unfold for you and I've just had to roll with it but uh, that one was the the first time since fully connecting and saying hey I'm going to trust this that I actually really did question my own sanity and the voices in my head because yeah singing was <laughs> singing was definitely not a gift that I believed I could ever master um but I'm here and I'm I'm I've been learning to sing for a year now Again, that was something that when I came back from Burning Man, I just felt this readiness, this this shift of energy that had happened. And yeah, I'm doing it and um, I've still got a long way to go with it. But I, I know that it's there and what's what's coming is actually really beautiful. And it's 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 part of the these new gifts that are unfolding for me is um, I'm, I'm currently channeling. Well, so when I when Spirit initially said that to me, they said, you uh, need to start writing conscious song lyrics. 
So I said, oh, that's okay. I'm already writing conscious poetry with spirit. I can, I can write conscious song lyrics. I've got made many amazing, like talented, talented singing friends who I can work with. And I got the message, no, you, you know, you need to sing it. But, uh, you know, when I first started to learn, I was like, okay, I get that I can, I can channel the words. But how am I going to get a melody for this stuff? I'm, I'm not a musical person. Although I've started to realize that as a child, I actually was. But what's coming through recently is um, I'm starting, and again, this is with the help of a beautiful goddess on this on this beautiful island. I'm starting to channel a melody, and I've been told by spirit that I need to make that melody into a house track. So I'll be working with some sort of DJ, uh, and the melody were coming through, and they, and they said to me, or spirit said to me, I know you may think it's just this simple melody that's coming through, but actually. It's a very, um, it's a very powerful melody that's coming, and so this will be played on a dance floor, or people just singing this this simple melody. And as that's happened, almost like as a subliminal, as a subliminal thing, like this just kind of goes into people's um, into people's beings. It's almost like a, a conscious reprogramming, which I know can sound scary to some people when I'm talking about a reprogramming, but it's it's from a very conscious, conscious level and a higher source where this this music will just help, yeah, just help people to find peace in themselves. So that's coming. And one of it just while we're talking about the party scene, because for me, whilst I've, you know, moved away from doing drugs in this party scene, I still feel very, very connected to it. You know, I see myself as a bridge between people who are, you know, incredibly spiritually going into going deep into it, who can't maybe always connect back into connect back into the mainstream. I really feel that this work, it, it needs to, we need to take it to the mainstream. We need to take it to people who are searching but don't know what it is they're looking for or, or, or are so lost that they don't even know they're looking. So the other thing that I've, I've found I really want to do as well as a healer is to work with a DJ and to just, you know, again, just have a party. So the DJ's, DJ's, DJ's doing what the DJ does and the, and the dance floor's doing what the dance floor does. And then I'll just be going around, you know, doing my, doing my healing moves around people. So they don't, you know, they're just getting healed whilst having a great time. So it's, it's really something that I, this is, this is something that I really want to do is just, just take all of these beautiful gifts that I'm developing and, yeah, take them to a, take them to a place where, People are just people are just having a great time, <laughs> so we'll see how that one unfolds. But Ibiza's a place for it, so uh, see what happens. I think, yeah, there's a little bit of that going on in certain pockets of the island, but that is a unique idea, and I think it could be really beautiful to combine a little bit more of the, yeah, conscious uh, behaviour on the dance floor here. But there, you know, there's lots of like these static dance spaces and and different ways to party opening up here on the island, and whilst we're kind of being rained on here because <laughs> Tanit has spoken it's time for a downpour <laughs> well to be honest we are moving towards the end of this podcast it's been an absolute pleasure to, to listen to this entire tale of your very colourful and brilliant and beautiful life and thank you so much for sharing it with us and thank you very much for being here with me um, I really appreciate it so thank you very much and thank you to the listeners out there so please join me over the coming weeks as I chew the fat with various guests as we try to deconstruct some of the current issues of our society. Thank you for listening. <laughs>